0: Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a Savage Approach Personal Finance. This is George Grambacher, and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, strong and powerful Rebecca Walser. Rebecca, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. Excellent. Let's do this. Rebecca is a GJD, LLM, and CFP. She's a tax attorney and wealth management advisor with Walser Wealth Management. She's been named a top 100 most influential advisors. She's a best-selling author, radio host, frequent contributor to to many well-known outlets. I'm excited to have you on. Rebecca, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do.
1: Okay, so I am happily married with children, and I uh, wrote a book. Last year it came out, and so I did a book tour last year, and this year uh, we're just getting the message out through various mediums, yours being one of them, so we're really excited about that, the book's Wealth Unbroken. But my background is I was in finance for over a decade before I became a lawyer, and then I became a tax lawyer and worked in tax law. And had one of those epiphany moments where I was talking with somebody um, from, as a tax lawyer and their financial advisor and their financial advisor, I thought their advice was absolutely horrible. I couldn't stand it. My ears were <laughs> burning and literally said, this is not going to work for me. I'm going to have to open my own practice where I have a holistic, you know, um, you know, sort of overarching encompassing view of all, everything that's going on, not just the tax specific piece. He said, that's "Really, kind of how my practice was started."
0: You said, "Enough is enough." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I simply <exactly. laughs> must do something about this. <laughs> Got it. Well, I, I know that. That's right. Um, in wealth unbroken, you you spend a good amount of time talking about how how people have been given bad advice for a long time, and that a lot of the conventional advice that that people have been getting is not getting them to where they really want or need to be. So I don't know if there's a a good jumping off point for just talking about some of that bad advice, maybe first?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we look, obviously, as a tax lawyer, I'm going to look at the tax-advantaged advice that people are given just in conventional, you know, wisdom and financial wisdom that we've really gotten for the last, you know, almost 40 years. And it really dates back to 1981 when the 401k really became our most prominent retirement vehicle in America and has remained there since that time. And and so just to give a really high-level view, Georgia, of why this vehicle is not, you know, the vehicle that we think that it is, we have to really go back in time to 1981. We have to see why it was so popular and got, like, gobbled up immediately upon its launch. And so what you see when you go back to 1981 is that our top marginal tax rate, in other words, the top tax bracket was 70%. And so you had much higher taxes in the 80s and the 70s, but really the early 80s before Reagan's reforms took effect in in 87. So his 86 reforms went into effect in 87. You had a lot higher tax rates. And so you had an American uh, public that was just screaming for, for savings and deferments of any kind immediately. And so this 401k program came out that said, hey, listen, you know, you are going to save for retirement anyways, put it in this special account, and we won't tax you currently on the money you're earning that you put into a special account. And when you retire, you'll probably be late making a lot less. So you'll be paying less taxes. So you'll actually get to defer the taxes until the taxes are a lot lower at some point in the future when you retire. So from the tax perspective alone, America just completely gobbled up the 401k. I mean, it was like phenomenal. And businesses, likewise, corporate corporations, they were looking for something to turn off their massive million dollars of responsibility every year on what we call the defined benefit or the pension system, because they were completely responsible for funding that. That was 100% funded by corporations. And it was just a benefit that was provided, a retirement benefit that was provided to corporate, you know, to employees. And so corporations were like, "Whoa, you mean instead of funding millions of dollars a year, we can literally like just make this about them and what they contribute. And if they contribute some, we'll give them some kind of weird percentage match of what they're contributing and it'll save us millions of dollars a year. And and that was the system. Like they literally saved millions of dollars overnight switching from pension based to, you know, defined benefit to defined contribution. And so they gobbled it up. And then finally, what you have to really look at, George, is you have to go back and you have to say, well, how old were our boomers back then and how, what was our debt like back then? And what you realize that is, in 1981, when Reagan was inaugurated, we only had $980 billion of federal debt. We didn't even have a trillion dollars of debt yet. And it took us like all the way until October of Reagan's first term to get us to a trillion dollars. So we, we incurred debt much more slowly. And our boomers were only 16 years old or 34 years old, so nobody was saying, like, this is going to be a big problem when all these people need to retire in 30 years all together at the same time. So uh, when you kind of go back and see how it all happened and see why it made sense, and then you bring yourself back to the present day of 2019, and you say, okay, well, let's look at it now. Does it now make sense? what you start to realize is we have two big problems right off the bat. The first is that the boomers literally are in the middle of retiring and yet You know, what's really going to happen is beginning in three years in 2022, we're going to have 70% of the boomers, 70% of a $70 million population, million million people, 70% of 70 million people retire in a five to six year succession one year after the other, after the other, after the other. So this is the the largest demographic shift from worker to recipient really in the history of the world. And um, so we have this massive looming issue, and why it's massive and looming, and it's an issue, is because we are already at deficit spending on both Social Security since last year, 2018, and Medicare since 1991, and we haven't even had 30% of our boomers retire yet. So as we have an entire generation retire in a five to six year window, basically, we're we're really. Uh, in a problem situation because we don't have the money to pay these benefits. We don't have the money coming in to pay the benefits, even now. And so that's the first problem. What you also realize is, of course, now we have $22 trillion of federal debt. So um, our debt situation, meaning we can't just you know, um, pay for it through debt financing. We can't debt finance our way out of the guarantees that we've been making to the baby boomers on Social Security and Medicare. So that's another problem. And then, of course, the other issue that we have is what is our current tax situation? And what really offends me as a tax lawyer is I go out and I'm, you know, I, I, I talk on a national news space. I, I write for Fox Business on a weekly basis. I, and, and yet, you know, people are still saying maximize your pre-tax wealth contributions, maximize your pre-tax wealth contributions. But what they don't understand is that we literally have the lowest taxes now since Reagan's reforms in '86. So why would we choose to not utilize the tax code that we have by paying the tax now while it's the lowest, and why would we instead defer to pay it later when we know later looks a lot uglier from a tax perspective simply because of where we are in the history of America now?
0: And I think that that makes a lot of sense to me, and for, for, it's it's somewhat I I I don't know what the term is. I'm I'm very, very, very concerned for all the reasons you just described that our our debt when, when the four hundred one K was introduced was nine hundred eighty billion, now it's twenty-two trillion. We've got seventy percent of seventy million people or whatever going to use Medicare and Social Security, and then we do have all these Americans who are been deferring and now are going to be taking money out in a taxable environment. And you are a tax expert, if or perhaps I don't know if you're comfortable with me calling you that. How how do you I'm think with that. <laughs> how, how how do you think that people think we're going to pay for everything that we're going to have to pay for as a country? Um, do you think that people realize that taxes are going to be going up, or
1: no, I don't, I don't think they do at all. Because I think if people universally understood our future, that nobody would accept on its face that pre-tax wealth building beyond any kind of employer match. Like I always tell people take advantage of the match because it's free money and we'd have to have a 100% tax in order to basically not make that not worth it. So take advantage of the contribution to a match. If they're matching you a, a penny for a penny, take advantage of that penny. But beyond them matching you, Um, You know, if people really understood where the taxes must go, then they would just laugh. They would find that the pre-tax wealth, you know, conventional wisdom is laughable. And they would be like, are you, you've got to be kidding, right? Because we have like the lowest taxes we've had in almost four decades right now. And where we're headed is, is ugly. And, you know, it's not that Rebecca Walser says it's ugly. It's that the CBO says it's ugly. The CBO did a report in 2008 at Paul Ryan's request and concluded that, you know, based on where we're headed, and you've got to remember that they wrote this in 2008 when our federal debt was only $10 trillion, not $22 trillion, you know, and we weren't on the precipice of these massive baby boomer retirements in 2008. But they said in 2008 that what will happen in the future is that, one, benefits will be cut. Two, taxes will go up and three, both. It was really <laughs> interesting how they actually said those things like one, two, and then really actually three, three is going to happen, which is both of these things are actually going to happen. We are going to have to have benefits be cut and we are going to have to have taxes go up. And, you know, this is this should not be news to anybody, but it is because people do not hear the message from voices like mine through all of the filtered messages of So people aren't stopping to just critically analyze if this makes sense. But if you just stop and sit for one moment and ask yourself, Where is the government going to get all of the money to pay all of these benefits that we don't currently have the money for? And you have to understand, George, that every time a boomer retires, it's a double negative to the federal budget. Because right now, that boomer is working. By definition, they're not retired. So they're paying into the system. They're contributing into the system. And when they simply retire, as they're entitled to, they stop working and they stop contributing. So there's no more payroll taxes going to help fund the program that is you know, covering Social Security and Medicare payments. So that first retirement is the first negative to the federal budget. And then they themselves go rightfully on to Social Security and Medicare. So that's the double negative every time a boomer retires to our federal payroll tax system. And we have 70 million of those people doing that over these next, you know, eight years, if you add in, because, you know, our, 20, our 70% doesn't start until 2022. So we really have, you know, uh, two more, three more years, technically, 19, 20, and 21. So we have three more years, and then we have a peers so we have nine years left for all of this stuff to actually be fully in true fruition. but once we hit 2022 and we have multiple millions of people retiring in mass every single year, the government's only going to be able to fake it for so long because we're in deficit spending on Social Security as of 2018. Just even with less than 30 percent of our boomers retired, we are already spending more on benefit payments on Social Security than we are taking in.
0: Got it. So it's a pretty rough spot, well, at least that gives our politicians enough time to figure it out <laughs> anyway so there 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 has been a lot of talk uh, by politicians about uh, putting wealth or putting additional taxes on the ultra wealthy. And I think that that's all fine and well, but I also, part of me thinks that they're going to have to expand the increase in taxes to not only the ultra wealthy, but probably really to everybody in order to generate enough tax revenue. And as a tax expert, I'd like to get your take on that.
1: Oh, well, there's no doubt that that numbers bear that out exactly as you say. So, you know, there is a professor at the University, Boston University, um, Professor um, Lawrence, and I can't pronounce his last name, but it's K O L I F F K O O K. It's Polish, but it's um, Kolikoff or something. I I can't pronounce his last name, but he's been a big proponent and a big advocate, written extensively about what is going to have to happen in order to try to somehow, you know, try to you know pay the benefits that have been promised. and he wrote in 2015 that um, and he talks exclusively and extensively about this uh, federal gap um, that we have and and I'll explain what that is in a minute but he basically says in order to pay the benefits that we have promised everybody with the taxes that we currently have and this is as of 2015 he said we would need an immediate and permanent 60% tax increase across all tax brackets like immediately And that was in 2015. The CBO kind of said that the 25% bracket they would see going to 63%, the top bracket they'd see going to about 88%. I say these numbers and people say, oh yeah, right, there's no way. But if you go back in time and you look at you know, before Reagan's tax reforms and up, you'll see that 50% top tax rates, 60%, 70%, 80%, 94%, 81 these were normal. In fact, over our, since 1913, our top average marginal rate, which means the top average rate for people at the top, in the top tier has been almost 60% since the beginning of America. So it's just since Reagan's reforms that we've kind of lived in this 30 year anomaly. And we've been able to have a progressive tax system. We've been able to fake it all this time because we haven't had the need for massive taxation as of yet, and we've been able to supplement and augment what we would normally get through taxation through basically federal spending, and that's why we have $22 trillion of debt because we've just basically written notes to people all around the world who have bought our dollars, and we've sustained 50% of our lifestyle basically federally at the federal budget level through debt financing as opposed to tax collection, but you're getting to the point where you've heard heard that proverbial, you're kicking the can down the road, you're getting to the point beginning in 2022 where the can is literally going to go off the cliff because we can't debt finance the amount of benefit payments that we promised everybody. And so it's going to have to be a matter of raising taxes. And if you look at the progressive nature of our tax system, for example, in 2017, 44% of Americans paid zero federal income tax. So that leaves the burden of all federal income taxes to 56% of people. And most Americans, you know, regardless of the political spectrum, most Americans would say that it makes some sense to have a progressive system so that the wealthier or the more income you have, the more tax you pay. Um, However... The progressive nature of America's tax system is going to become extremely challenged in the next uh, less than seven years. And the reason for that is because we're going to start needing everybody to pay something, and we're going to start needing everybody to pay quite a bit. And I love that these, um, you know, politicians on the left, like a Bernie Sanders kind – who's talking about this Medicare for All and, you know, the people like uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, who's talking about, you know, the Green New Deal and, you know, um, guaranteed jobs and guaranteed employment and guaranteed, uh, you know, everything. Everything's guaranteed. Everything's free. And they all love to throw out, like, the Scandinavian countries, like Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and they all say, yeah, you're going to have everything for free, and then they kind of hold up these three small little, you know, <laughs> countries as examples of where it works, right? right. So- Obviously, there's nothing that's 330 million people that it works, but let's just look at, for example, if we just take Denmark for a second. In Denmark, if you make the equivalent of 60,000 U.S. dollars, you are paying 60 percent, 60 percent of your income to Denmark to cover health care and free education and all those things that are quote, quote, free. So that's their tax system. Denmark, Norway, and Sweden have a very highly unprogressive tax system. It is minimally progressive. Everybody, almost universally, has to pay a substantial amount of their income to support the federal government programs. That's the norm of those Scandinavian countries that you're not hearing, that they're not telling you. They're just calling it free. And so it is It is lunacy to think that the United States of America will be able to maintain a massively progressive system where 56% of the population bears all of the federal burden of the tax. Yet we're going to somehow not only be able to fund Social Security and Medicare and, and pay the benefits we promise, which we cannot, but we can even go further and have even more benefits in some sort of Medicare for all and these kinds of things. It's just not a possibility mathematically
0: so what does somebody do who's listening and says oh no <laughs>
1: <laughs> well they have to start realizing that they've um you know the, the message that they're getting is is you have to understand one thing George. and i don't want to make this sound like all doom and gloom but you have to understand when you get into the inner workings of why do people still tell people to maximize the 401k It's because America as a whole, probably uh, we have a massively huge retirement wealth gap, meaning that Americans have not, we have lived such a high on the hog lifestyle for so long, and we've got Social Security sort of in our back pocket, that you've got more than 70% of Americans haven't saved anywhere near personally what they should save to maintain their lifestyle throughout their whole life. So... What's happening with these financial companies and and financial, you know, wisdom in general is, listen, the 401k, as sufficient as it may or may not be from a tax perspective now in 2019, 2018, 2017, it is the main retirement system most Americans have access to. And so instead of giving them some sort of complicated, well, if you're this or that, you should do this, but if you're less than this, you can do that, you know, instead of trying to give them... Massive tailored advice, they have to just come up with a blanket message that everybody can hear, that everybody can kind of have ingrained in their brain so that they actually participate because most people in America do not save anywhere near what they should be saving and so the 401k has become the default and they don't want to bash it for that reason and so even though now in 2019 it is not anywhere near the system I would be building wealth in this is why they're still getting that message out there and this and this is sad it's like the the worst program that we have by default but yet it's better than nothing I mean at the end of the day if I had to say do the 401k or do nothing I would of course tell you to do the 401k because it's better than nothing literally and if that's what we're going to compare it to then yes it is better than nothing Um, So for the people that are sophisticated and are downloading your podcast and listening to your podcast and participating in some some show like yours, George, that is really, you know, much higher level of an American that we're talking about, much more sophisticated financially, what they are going to be seeing and thinking right now as they're listening to me is, holy goodness, I am not at all prepared like I thought I was because I've got all this money pre tax and what I tell you, your listeners, and is that now is the time. We have a window of opportunity to actually execute what we have thought all along, which was build this wealth pre-tax, and when you're in a lower bracket, pay the tax then. So that is actually ironically true right now. And I'm praying that it's true for the next seven years. I pray we have seven years left of great tax policy, but we might not. We might have four years, or five years, or maybe we might have three years, I don't know. But what I know is that right now in 2019, we have great tax policy and it is a great time to actually choose to pay your tax while taxes are this low because they are going up and it will be uglier, much uglier in the future. And so we need to leverage this opportunity that we have now by actually saying let's pay the tax while it's at this low rate, while we can control it, and let's not go in the future with keeping the IRS as our partner for the rest of our life in our wealth account.
0: Well, I think that that is a, a solid difference-making tip. But Rebecca Savage Nation is ready for another one.
1: What do you have for them? You know, I think once you realize, okay, I'm going to contribute to my match. I'm going to realize, do I am I underfunded? Is my is my what I want and what I need to maintain lifestyle, am I there? Am I on track? You've got to do an assessment. And if you're not on track, get a plan to get on track. And then for what you've already built, there are ways to leverage and utilize the tax code now uh, while we have the time left to really take effect and make effectual the low taxes that we have now. So we can kind of, you know, it's really an overall assessment, George. What is what do I need to be doing? What have I done? What's my gap? What can I do to catch up? And then let's really get a tax plan in place where we're really leveraging the tax code that we have now to your best advantage.
0: Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of your book?
1: Yep, absolutely. So you can get a wealth unbroken on Amazon. It's definitely available there, and it's so easy. Wealth unbroken, and um, my last name is spelled with an S, so it's W A L S, as in Sam E R Walser. And uh, you can get us at Walserwealth.com. You can reach us at Walserwealth.com. W-A-L-S, as and Sam E R. And obviously, you can always call our practice, which is eight six six ninety two wealth, eight six six nine two wealth.
0: Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Rebecca your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to walserwealth.com and get a copy of Wealth Unbroken on Amazon. I'll link to both of those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Rebecca.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hope I wasn't too depressing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. podcast course and you'll find it there you can just go to the website i'll also list that in the notes of the show what's up savage nation please support the show by subscribing leave us a review and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it come on